0: Are we ready to get started? All right, here we go then. This episode is sponsored by Hire.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent, talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance, and if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hire.com slash javascriptjabber, you can get double the hiring bonus that they offer. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at hire.com slash javascriptjabber today. Hey everybody, and welcome to another JavaScript Jabber show. This week on our panel, we have Amy Knight.
1: Hello from Nashville.
0: Corey House.
2: Coming at you from sunny Kansas City.
0: I'm Charles Max Wood from DevChat.TV, and this week we have two special guests. We have Sean Marin,
2: Burning up in Austin, Texas.
3: And Kevin Griffin. And slightly uncomfortable in Chesapeake,
0: Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's honest. <laughs> so do you guys want to give us a brief introduction, who you are, what you do?
4: Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, me, Sean Marin, and Kevin Griffin are both the hosts of the Two Frugal Dudes podcast. And we're both just middle-class software engineers, uh, but at the same time, we also love putting our money to work and just started the podcast just really to help other people in the uh, same situations as us to kind of set up their lives for financial success. So I kind of, I'm, I'm still a full-time nine-to-five employee um, and Kevin uh, owns a small business. And uh, really, we kind of bring both perspectives to the middle class as far as uh, just really personal finance and living a frugal life to fund our needs
0: nice so kevin what does your business do I'm, I'm curious about that as well
3: uh so part of my business is independent consulting software development stuff uh i just recently started bootstrapping a training company uh, so doing in-person and uh public and private training um, on software development so it's something i've done for a very long time uh, kind of privately uh, now i'm trying to make it more public so the company's called SwiftKick. kick um like a swift kick in the you know what
0: Mm-hmm. gotcha so amy was super excited to invite you guys on and so i'll, I'll let her because take things away because she's she says she has a million questions and yeah i guess Corey and i'll chime in where we need to
1: <laughs> i guess to kind of paint the scene so um i because of all these changes I went through last year, um, I'm just trying to be I, I'm always like very, very, very conservative with my spending and and I have that part down. Um, but you know we're fortunate enough in this industry, I think for a lot of us, Um, you know, we're not necessarily living like paycheck to paycheck. So I have a little bit left over at the end of, you know, every paycheck. And I'm trying to figure out the smart thing to do with that money. And I feel like, um, you know, as developers, at least for me, like this isn't something if I have, you know, a couple hours of free time uh, you know, at at the end of the day, or my time on the weekend, like I want to be playing with like a new library or something. I don't necessarily want to be reading like finance books. Uh, <laughs> so when I talked to Shev, uh, Sean and Kevin at uh, Revolution Comp a couple weeks ago, and they were talking about having this podcast, I was like, "Man, can I just like ask you guys a million questions for an hour and you know get your thoughts on what to do?" Uh, so it all started um, because. There are these quote unquote like financial advisors. Uh, and some of them really are more or less like insurance salespeople. And so I was trying to talk to them about uh, these different like insurance options that someone was telling me about to be used as investing um, versus just like the traditional stuff. Like, you know, we all know like max out your 401k if you have one. Um, but what do you do after that? Like, um, talking about opening up a Roth IRA, but there's all these um, different stipulations with that. So, All that to say, um, I feel like rather than asking more questions right now, like maybe Sean or Kevin, um, let's see, do you guys want to start with, uh, I guess start with, um, I think one of the very interesting things you told me was, uh, and I think it was you, Kevin, you know, the different types of financial advisors out there and, and what you guys are doing on your podcast.
3: Uh, sure. So one of the big things that people don't realize is that financial advisors out there, they, they're not like doctors, so they don't have to actually work in your best interest. Um, there, there's no, there's no legal reason for them to, to have to work in your best interest. So they could sit down with you, look at all your finances, look at all, all the money you have coming in and going out. And they could say, I think you should put all your money in these funds over here. Uh, And depending on the type of financial advisor, they might get kickbacks for selling those type of funds. Um, What Sean and I talk about on the podcast uh, specifically are fiduciary advisors. And these are people who are just legally not allowed to accept kickbacks from uh, different funds or, or different brokerages. So the nice thing about fiduciaries is they can they, they will help you to the best of their ability. The kind of bad thing is you you pay them for their services. That's that's how they actually get paid. Um, one thing that Sean and I really haven't had a chance to discuss on the podcast yet is that that this these laws are actually changing right now at this exact moment. I just um,
1: read that actually uh, a couple weeks ago.
3: And uh Sean and I I don't we haven't really had a time to digest it yet, but the understanding I have, and Sean, correct me if you read this differently, is that uh basically everyone has to be a fiduciary now. Yep. Uh, unless they specifically get you to sign a piece of paper that says you are willing to let them sell you crap. Um <laughs> or <laughs> stuff that they're that they're paid for. Uh it's uh I wish I could remember the acronym. It's uh B I C Sean correct me cuz i don't remember what the what the form is at the moment. Do you remember?
4: I don't remember the exact acronym as well, but but this already exists over in the UK. It's like that where uh it's required by law to be a fiduciary advisor to act in the best interests of your clients. And that's the the big issue we see over here and i think really a lot of the the brokers, we call them, um, or, you know, the, the financial uh, advisors over here in the, in the States really want to act in your best interest, honestly. But, um, uh, these companies that they work for kind of tend to brainwash them into these, fi- selling these financial products that, uh, have higher cost and try to beat the market, which is really tough for someone to do. Um, so, so yeah, so Kevin and I really, you know, we don't have any say in the, the financial advising world we're not financial advisors. We don't have any training on it or anything, but we've just kind of done all of our own research over the years. And um, Kevin actually teaches uh, a Financial Peace University class uh, by Dave Ramsey for his church out of Goodwill uh, and just really good money habit tips um, that Mm -hmm. we've kind of learned over the years. we wanted to just kind of spread those to other people in the industry. And that's kind of why we started the podcast, because we always talk about it amongst each other. And we're like, hey, all these conversations are getting lost. Why don't we just start talking about this uh, you know and documenting it along the way and you know what do you know we go to revolutionconf uh, back in back in well, earlier this month and we saw Amy there and, and there's just <laughs> a great example of how this this community um, you know we're all engineers and we you know, tend to be very analytical and we tend to make you know decent decent money. But at the same time, um, unlike maybe Amy, but there, there are still many software engineers that are maybe living to paycheck to paycheck or don't even have an emergency fund or have no clue where to invest their money. really don't have the time to even figure it out. Um, so it was fun just having that conversation with you. So
1: I'll lead with my question that I asked you and then other people, I guess, can chime in with their questions because maybe, you know, there are other people like I'm fortunate enough um, for me, fortunate is not the right word. (laughs) My situation is fortunate. Um, You know, it's just me. So I don't have dependents or anything like that. So I think that affords me, you know. Uh, that I I have a little bit left over. So my question to Sean was, uh, you know, I'm already maxing out my 401k, which by maxing out, meaning I am not going over the company match because uh, once I do that, I think I could do better on my own. Um, and then also, I'm going to max out the Roth IRA, but you know, I'm limited to how much I can put in there. So my question was, uh, if I have money left over at the end of the month, um, what what should I do with that money? Since I believe it was when the Roth IRA is capped at like 5,500 a year. That's correct. Okay, so so what do I do with any money I have left over after that, because um, one of the sales—I call them salespeople—one of these insurance salespeople was uh, trying to convince me uh, that I should look into life insurance as like a, a savings tool. And uh, no, it did, did, yeah, <laughs> didn't seem like a good idea to me. So, so I wanted to know what was what could I do uh, rather than just like putting this money in a savings account where it's really not and it's like growing negligibly
4: yeah that's usually like the initial red flag with financial advisors is when they try to immediately sell you life insurance uh, especially like whole or universal life yes yes Yes. (laughs) but 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 yeah beyond that uh, the typical response uh, that I've known from a long time ago and that is kind of said by many advisors still is to kind of you know put in your company match and then after that you put the rest of your money into a Roth IRA max that out um Now, uh, the, but the first question really, um, that I think any really good financial advisor would ask someone, and it's a question I always ask people in the first place is what are you saving for? You know, it's, it's key to figure that out. Like, why are you saving this money? Because you could, you could max out. Um, your 401k after your Roth, or you could start to put money maybe in an emergency fund. Maybe you don't even have that yet. Um, The the important thing is to figure out when are you going to need the money and what are you going to need it for? And a lot of people just say, well, I just want the money to grow. Well, for what? For retirement? When? Do you even know when you might want to retire? Like how early or how late you might want to retire? So once you know when you need the money for, maybe it's to say uh, a common example we get maybe is to save for a house, like a down payment on a house. Okay. Well, um, then yeah, as long as that was
1: my answer. (laughs) Okay. Yeah.
4: (laughs) So, so a lot of times, uh, like if that's the case, then you may need the money, I don't know, a few years from now. So you don't want to put it in some risky investment, like, you know, like the stock market. Um, you want to put it maybe in like a safer investment. Now the, the cool thing about Roth IRAs, um, the money you put in there is already taxed. So you can withdraw those contributions. Um, uh, tax and penalty free, uh, before, uh, you know, at any point, because, uh, it's the contributions that you pay from, uh, post-tax dollars, as long as you don't withdraw the earnings from it. So sometimes people use their Roth also as a savings vehicle in case they don't use it. I personally use my Roth as my, uh, emergency fund because, uh, if I, I don't keep a lot of money, like in my basic checking and savings, I don't even have a savings account. I just keep a little bit in checking to cover my expenses, plus a little bit for um, a buffer. But anything past that, I I know I can withdraw from my, my Roth IRA. If a, a true emergency came up, I have $5,500 in there I can take out if need be. And I also have a, a normal brokerage account. But um so, so I would, you know, it, the... Typical recommendation, of course, is get that company match because that's money that your company is going to put in there extra for you and then then try to max out that Roth IRA. Um, Now, if you are saving for a house, though, you have a choice with that Roth IRA as far as where you invest that money. Um, And... Yeah, again, if you're going to need to put that money down on a house in a few years from now, then you don't want to invest that Roth IRA money into like a risky investment, um, like maybe like just the the S&P 500, um, uh, the total stock market index fund. Um, so maybe you'd rather uh, put it into something safer, like a like a like a bond fund or even. Uh, even a more safe uh, choice would be like a like a bank CD. I really think that's the safest thing you can get for the best return you can get. Is just like a like a CD from a bank. Um, in my in my opinion, that was a lot of information.
0: <laughs> so uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking about a lot of this, but uh, I'm in a little bit different situation since I'm self employed. So some months are really really good, and some months are really not good. And uh, I figured out recently, I I went through kind of a uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, a period where money wasn't coming in um, that I needed to have an emergency fund. And so when I'm saving up, I'm saving up so that when I have a lean month, things don't come to a grinding halt. And so uh, one of the things that I'm seeing, though, is that I need to save up a lot more money than I actually currently have. And so, yeah, I'm trying to figure out the, you know, the best way to do that, you know, because it's not always possible for me to set aside that money.
3: Yeah, I can. I, I, I feel, feel you there, Charles. Uh, from my standpoint, I keep two emergency funds. Uh, mm-hmm. I keep a personal emergency fund and then a business one, uh, because you never, uh, I, from my, this is more from my wife's standpoint. Um, my wife should not know when my business is doing well. My wife should not know when my do- business is doing bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so from her, <laughs> what, and because is exactly what Charles said, if, the business is having a really good month. That's, that's great. But if there's, there's a couple of months that are just, uh, they're the valleys where the money's not coming in the same way that it has before. Mm-hmm. But what I do in that case is I pay myself, uh, a, a salary. Um, and I pay myself the dividends from, from my, uh, corporation. Uh, those are fixed amounts every month. And I've, I have that part of my business budget, but, in the months where the, the business is doing really well, I, I throw money into a business emergency fund and for the business that accounts for about five months worth of, of what I would pay myself. Um, and luckily I've never had to cut into that, but it's there, it's liquid, it's, it's ready to be used if I need to use it. Um, but it's, I understand it's really hard as the money comes in to to put that money aside. Uh I had to build it up over the course of like 2 or 3 years. Uh it just took that much time. And now it's there, it's ready to go and everything extra I can use to actually invest in my business.
0: Mhm. Yeah, I'm finding that it's really hard to set that money aside sometimes.
3: There's so many better things I could probably do with that money than just let it sit there, but those dollars have a particular job and that's
4: self-insurance.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, exactly. And in the employee world, um, it's a similar kind of, uh, I guess, risk appetite, you know, uh, equation or thought process you have to go through to think about how, how long you need. Um, I'm sure it's much different in the business owner world, but in, in my world, Uh, my particular job is in high demand as a software engineer in uh, the languages I write. So I know I could go out and get work within at least less than a month if I needed to and uh, have enough to cover my expenses. So I keep very minimum in my, uh, emergency fund in my checking account, but, uh, someone, yeah, that doesn't have that, uh, capability, um, maybe needs to keep uh, a much longer amount in their emergency fund. It really just depends on, yeah, how how long do you think you might need the money for? And you have to kind of just do that and risk talent yourself, or maybe your, your significant other, um, may have enough to cover the expenses if you were to lose your job. Um, and you don't need as much. Um, uh, another common backup plan that we talk about is, uh, like disability. Like if, if you're in a field of work, maybe, uh, where you need disability insurance, um, like, I don't personally need short-term disability in my field of work, but maybe someone else does in their line of work. Um, And it's just, it it depends on uh, your unique situation and what you do for a living. Mm -hmm. If you're self-employed,
3: it's almost impossible to get short-term disability insurance. I've learned this the hard way.
0: (laughs) So what's kind of the, I'm pretty familiar with Dave Ramsey stuff. Um, We have the home study version of um, Financial Peace University. Um but but what's kind of the first thing that people should be doing for their own financial um well-being? I mean we we can talk about investing, I guess, or we can talk about financial well-being, but I think if we manage the basics, then you know, then we can confidently invest in the other areas that we feel like we ought to be. If that makes sense.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um I'll pick that up. I I follow the Dave Ramsey model. Um at least for the first couple steps, because I think they're real. It's real good advice. Uh, number one is you need that basic emergency fund, and I use a thousand dollars. That's most real emergencies will come under that thousand dollar mark. Um, you never know nowadays with um, the the way that the political spectrum is going, whether or not we're going to need more in our emergency funds. But usually a $1,000 covers it no problem.
1: That's uh, really – in. oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I'm going to say that's kind of interesting because I've heard anywhere from like six months of expenses to a year of expenses, which is what I've been shooting
3: for. Wow. We haven't got there yet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, okay, so, okay.
3: Um, because what we're really interested in is kind of the second step, and that's to get rid of all of our consumer debt. Uh, those are things like car payments. Um Student loans, credit cards, it really anything that's not your house. So if you have a, a mortgage, I don't, we don't consider that consumer debt. Um, but everything else, you need to get rid of that as quickly as possible. Uh, there and there's different methods for doing that. Some people talk about consolidating. I, I don't really subscribe to that. Um, there's also the debt snowball, which means you work with your lowest balance first pay that off as quickly as you can and move on to the next lowest. Uh, once you get all your debt done, then we want to go grow our emergency fund to three to six months of expenses. Um, I, I lean more towards the three months, uh, kind of what Sean said before is my worst case scenario is I, I'll just go get a job. Um, if it ever comes down to that, hopefully not. But, there, I have earning potential. Um, it's, I don't anticipate having to be out of work for more than three months. Um, I, something will have happened. Uh, and then after that we can get into, it's the, the investment stuff. So setting up retirement funds. Uh, if you have kids, how do you pay for college? Um, you always make sure that paying for school comes after setting up your retirement accounts. Um, and then you, if you have mortgages and you want to pay those off, you pay those off. And then you just continue investing and in building money and wealth. But the most important thing is all your debt's gone. So you're really just paying for the
4: necessities. Yeah. Kevin, this is also where uh, it's nice to have myself and Kevin's perspective on the podcast because he's he really understands the, the Dave Ramsey's ways. And um, me personally, like... Uh, I went a different route and uh, something that means a lot to me is early retirement um, and something that you'll probably never hear in the Dave Ramsey world um, is the the words early retirement so it's cool to see how you may hear like you know financial peace financial independence but but really the 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 niche that I kind of focus on and the thing I really want uh, in my life is early retirement and the the way I kind of came about that is through uh, I've kind of been involved in the startup world on the side. I'm a software engineer and like many other software engineers, I think we all have ideas spinning in our head all the time for things we want to create. And I'm always working on something on the side. It's kind of like a hobby, but I still need to pay the bills. Um, and you know, to this point, nothing has taken off on the side and I wanted to make sure I had a backup plan, um, to be able to work on my inventions or innovations, if you will, um, kind of full time or, on my own time, um, to start building the ideas in my own head. So I said, you know, that's when I started to question retiring in my sixties. I said, if nothing takes off by then, because I can't really dedicate fully to it, um, then I want to have a way to, to be able to do that. And that's where I've started crunching some numbers and figuring out that early retirement was a possibility. Um, so within the next few years now, um, you know, in my mid thirties, I'll be able to uh, I'll have enough money in investments to passively pay for all of our expenses for the rest of our lives. So no matter if any of my side gigs would kick off or not, uh, it wouldn't matter. I know my expenses are covered, which w- makes that process a lot easier. So so by but but by going through that process, I kind of realized the steps that I've taken to to get to that point um, where I'm kind of on aut- autopilot now, and. It kind of starts out with really just understand, uh, really lifestyle adjustments, I guess. Um, really understanding what retirement means to me. Um, what is the standard of living that, you know, what is, what does the word rich really mean to me and my family? Um, um, we, you know, we kind of kept chase, uh, going up the materialistic ladder and then uh, the first time we really challenged ourselves to come back down and uh, reduce our standard of life is when we realized uh, the true experiences that matter in life. But doing that kind of soul searching initially really helped so I can figure out what we need to pay for um, in retirement. And, and then I think the next step that's really important for people is to track their money. Um, you can't I don't believe you can go nowhere or go anywhere until you accept where you are right now and being able to see that. And no one that, or anyone that doesn't have a budget yet is really going to. Probably be shocked by where their money's going. I mean, I couldn't believe how much Taco Bell and Chick Fil A—you know—those small <laughs> expenses were adding up, you know, um, to these large entertainment expenses every month. Because once you see, once you see it, you have a metric that you can track against, and mm-hmm. um, then you can really start tackling each of those budget categories and totally overhaul your life. And funnel that money, like Kevin talked about, towards your emergency, um, your uh, emergency fund, or tackling that debt. And man, when, once you see it and you can and you can start seeing, you know, you, all the extra money you have every month and you start tackling that debt, you start just looking around the house and think about, you know, all the cars you can downsize or things you can sell that are laying around from previous hobbies that you can just start throwing all kinds of money at that debt and get it gone. So you can start investing for the savings and in particular, in my case, investing for early retirement.
1: I think Like, it is really important for people to do that if they don't. Um, I come from a situation which is probably why like this stuff is was so important to me. Um, Like, I was raised in a family who really struggled immensely financially. And so it's caused me to live like a very simple life which is why, you know, I probably have a little bit left over is because I, like, I have looked around and, like, decided, like, I'm going to drive, you know, a 15-year-old truck. And, like, I really don't care. I drive a pickup truck. Um, anyways, so, yeah, like, taking some steps back and looking at, like, what you actually need, uh, but yeah, I can't say enough like good things about doing that because it's so easy to get sucked into, you know, like everything that people, you know, tell us that we need, which we really don't need.
4: Yeah, it's that whole consumerism yep. <laughs> trap you get put into. And once you once you can see it from the outside, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, just living a frugal life and the pride. I mean, just the the feeling of having savings in your own account. Um, self-insurance is Kevin you know, calls it, it's, it's really, it's just, you don't, you don't have to worry about the, all these crazy backup and emergency plans. Cause you have, you have funds, you have, you really have money that, that can take care of those times when you might need it. Cause it will happen. I, I mean, at some point either, maybe you won't be able to work or maybe you'll need to take time off because of emotional or family reasons. Like it, it, things happen. And just knowing you have that, your finances in order is a truly, truly peaceful, peaceful place to be and can give you a lot of power to, you know, Hey, uh, work different jobs or live where you want to live. It just opens up so many more opportunities. And it's definitely uh,
3: one thing I've noticed with a lot of people teaching a financial peace course is that if someone has other stressors in their life, like if they have car problems, the car, car breaks down. Well, if they don't have the money to fix the car. They now have car problems and now they have money problems and that's just stressful. And sometimes that will lead to married, um, marriage problems. And it's just so much stress in your life. That's all because you don't have $300 to put a new part in the car. Um, just those basics, getting those basics down can cause you so much relief in other areas of your life.
1: Okay, so I'm going to back up um, to my question earlier where I was talking about, uh, you know, I was already putting I was already maxing out my 401k um, and then I was going to max out the Roth IRA. But I think um, potentially like not everyone is familiar with the differences between a 401k and IRA and a Roth IRA. So can you guys talk about that as far as your different investing options?
4: Sure. So your your 401k is your typical uh, employer Um, provided uh, retirement savings account that you'll see that where you can put in money pre-tax into uh, a retirement account. Um, But usually what you'll see with most of those is that they're very limited with the funds that you can choose from um, to invest in. And this is for a lot of times long-term retirement planning. Um, A lot of people, when they put money into these accounts, they're thinking about retiring in their sixties. And that's why a lot of people don't put a whole lot into them. Um, We, See that, uh, I guess, after that, um, that's when we start thinking about the IRAs. And you have two different types of IRAs you can put money into, again, uh, most typically thought of as long-term retirement accounts. Um, The traditional IRA, which uh, works similar to the 401k in regards to taxes, as you'll uh, put money in there and you'll get a tax deduction for the money you put into the IRA. And later on, when you go to withdrawal, you'll have to pay taxes on the withdrawals later on. Whereas the Roth, you've already paid taxes on the money that you're then putting into the Roth IRA. So later on, when you go to withdraw it, you don't have to worry about paying taxes on those earnings. Um, now, Uh,
1: well, maybe you're going to get to this, but like, one thing that I didn't realize that you told me Sean um which makes a ton of sense as you're saying you don't really have a savings account is using the Roth IRA as your savings cuz I didn't realize like you had told me that I can withdraw anything that I put in minus the earnings.
4: Yeah, there's a lo- there's a lot of advantages to the Roth IRA in my opinion over the traditional um a lot of times people only talk only talk about the tax and predictions really like I don't know what the taxes are going to be down the road and I gonna take a bet on them being higher or lower um, but really there's so many other benefits of a Roth IRA in my opinion uh, one of those being that um, yeah you can withdraw the contributions at any time because you it's your money you pay taxes on it you put it in there you can take it out for an emergency if you need to as long as you don't take out any of the earnings that you won't be penalized on it so Yes. That's why I personally choose uh, to use the Roth as my, where I put my emergency money because I can invest it and still get earnings. And then if I need to though, um, I can take out the contribution portion, um, and use it for something. So that's why I really like the Roth. Um, it's also, it, it's also a very good, uh, uh, it's very good account to have in my plan for early retirement because uh, I never knew this. And this is when I really started ramping up my 401k and IRA, uh, contributions is when i realized that there's this thing called a roth ira conversion ladder i won't get into too much of the details right now but basically you can take money from your 401k if i was to quit my job when i'm ready to retire early um and i can use the 401k money convert it into uh, a roth ira along with money i've maybe already been putting into a roth and i can use that uh, before 60 years old uh, at a very because i'll be in the lowest tax bracket and be able to use that to fund early retirement. There's a lot of details around that. I won't get into it too much, but basically these these IRAs and 401k's, the tax advantages alone in them, even though the investment options might not be as good in a 401k, whereas in an IRA you can invest in any fund in the market, still maxing out both of those completely in my opinion are are the most important things to do before you even think about opening up like a brokerage account to buy other stocks because the the, ta- the cost are the most important thing you want to minimize when you're investing ever. And taxes is always going to be your biggest cost. And I invest in a traditional IRA because I
3: because I own my own business. I can really use the tax deductions now. Uh, whereas when I'm closer to pulling money out of that fund, I'll be in a lower tax bracket. And I can, I can pay lower taxes then uh, than I would now. Uh, Another thing I do that a lot of people don't realize is if you have an HSA uh, you can also use that as a an additional uh, Investment device or retirement device so you can max out your IRA or Roth IRA You can also use an HSA as a retirement device and max that out every year And it goes and it goes towards medical funds or medical expenses if you if you need those
0: Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. You can replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files and having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. It has full support for JavaScript and all other major languages and platforms. Takes less than 10 minutes to set up and you can get a free 14 day trial by going to raygun.com and signing up today. Sorry, Amy.
1: Nope, you answered my question because I was afraid maybe not everybody knew what an HSA was.
0: But oh, it's health savings account. That's right. So let's pretend that I'm a complete and total nerd, and that was supposed to be funny. Um, and
2: I laughed. <laughs> anyway. I wasn't fast enough let's, on mute, but trust me, pretend. I yeah. laughed. Let's <pretend.
0: laughs> There's no pretending. So so let's say you know I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, well. Which of these is right for me? And it seems like, okay, well, if you're in this situation, do this. And if you're in this situation, do this. But I'm a complete and total nerd. So I want to plug everything into a spreadsheet or write a little script in Ruby or JavaScript that's going to crunch a whole bunch of numbers and say, you know what? You're probably going to be better off going this way than that way. You know, and then I can get input from an accountant or from a tax attorney or from both and, and kind of go about that way so are there tools or algorithms or good ways that I can kind of geek out on this stuff and go, all right, I'm gonna figure this stuff out or even just in my personal finances with my budget you know okay, I'm gonna grind some numbers through and see what happens
4: yeah uh, a lot of times uh, when you're going to do calculations with investing you're you're usually talking about how you're going to divide up your portfolio uh, usually between a mix of stocks, bonds, real estate, um and maybe international or global so a lot of the calculations i do personally are are around that um so what portion of my portfolio is going to be uh, overseas or or domestic and if i and of course the only thing we have right now to do those predictions are the past right um all we really have is history, historical performance and depending on the time when you start those calculations is always going to vary what your results may be whether it's just the past 20 years or past 30 years and what market corrections or recessions you may have included in those calculations. The cool thing is there are great tools out there for it. Um, one of them I can think of right away is a portfolio visualizer. I use a lot where I can uh, pick different portfolio mixes, um, put different amounts of money in each one. And I can say between these time frames, where would I be? Um, I personally use that to figure out my portfolio to fund early retirement. Um, In in another case, uh, another good one, I think it's actually called Portfolio Charts as well, which does something very similar, but gives you kind of nice graphics as well on top of it. Um, In my case, uh, some of these require many, many fields and many, many uh, entries and um, to perform those kind of uh, calculations. Uh, One of the things I care about is early retirement predictions. So I have this much money. I'm saving this much a year. um, I think I can get this percent every year um these are my expenses when can i retire um that's why i put up a uh, fireagecalc.com which is just a simple javascript uh, one page website i i just put out there for free for people to use that kind of helps predict early retirement if that's a thing that you care about but those are the main tools i kind of used um because really um, the the hardest part is calculating your return um you know you have to estimate what your return your average return would be year after year um and a lot of times the biggest mistake people make is they look for the fund with the highest return, average return. Um, I know a lot of people that go put money in their 401ks. Uh, I know I did this when I was uh, first starting to invest money in my 401k. When you see the fund options for the first time, you just kind of look through them. Okay, which one has the highest average return since inception or maybe just the past 20 to 30 years? Uh, And that's a huge mistake because uh, maybe over that long period of time, it does. But uh, when you look at the actual per year returns, you'll see that, Like, for instance, the S&P 500, um, sometimes when it went down, maybe it went down like 38% in a year. And that's huge. Um, The biggest thing you want to try to do, yes, you want to get a good return, but you also want to try to minimize your losses, more importantly. So that's why diversification is a big deal. So a lot of your calculations are going to be around trying to diversify your portfolio between the right uh, uh, mix of stocks, bonds, and real estate. And I personally um, do uh, a 40% uh, uh, total stock market. Uh, 20% international stock market, 20% intermediate bonds and 20% real estate investment trust. So I have a pretty good mix um, to still get some pretty good gains, but also minimize the losses um, because real estate and bonds both have a low correlation, which is R squared for those financial um, people out there that may understand that um, low correlation to stocks. So real estate and bonds, they don't always move in the opposite directions. That's a fallacy, but they tend to, not move in the same direction. Um, so having a good mix of things that don't move in the same direction as stocks. And then you, sometimes when the U.S. is doing bad, the inter- international is doing good. So um, it, that's why diversification is so huge, because you want some years where you at least get some return versus going years with no return or negative return. I mean, that is detrimental uh, for your investments.
1: I always thought it was good um, to hear, Sean, because I always was like under the impression that I was making a huge, 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 like colossal mistake, like colossal mistake, like obviously not the smartest thing in the world, but um, like I'm renting right now uh, because I'm, you know, had I just kind of moved back to Nashville, but you had said, like, as long as I was diversified, if I did open like a brokerage account and you, I'm looking at my notes that I took that you gave me, like put uh, 20% in a real estate fund, like that would kind of diversify me without having to like actually feel like I was making a big mistake by not like owning my own home right now.
3: And if you look at the statistics over the past uh, hundred years or so, the stock market, the only person that would have ever made a mistake by investing is, is by not investing. So even if you had made bad investments, you would still have earned out more than a person that did not invest at all. So just putting your money somewhere (laughs) then other than your mattress uh, is a good first move. No,
4: I was going to say, yeah, because we know how inflation just eats away at that money. That's not doing anything. I've heard that too. <laughs>
1: like, I know I watch Kramer sometimes a little bit, Jim Kramer and
4: like, B-b-b-booyah,
1: Jim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, you know, some people talk about kind of like trying to like ride the stock market and, and I guess that's good if you know what you're doing and you have the time to keep up with it. But like, he kind of always says like, if you're just kind of like in it for the long haul, you're okay.
4: Most definitely. Um, so Jim Kramer, that's, Actually, I remember when I first started getting involved in the stock market, um, I read his Mad Money books. Yep. I love I Jim. I think he's an awesome dude. Go Eagles. But anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> I I the bad thing is when I was really paying attention to Jim Craner, I was trying to trade stocks. Um, I was trying to pick stocks. I was trying to basically day trade um, and pick winners. Um, and unfortunately, uh, that was also right before the 2008 crash um so i lost a lot of money actually um by trying to do that and uh yes i did get um some tax uh deductions from those losses but the the times that i actually did make money i had huge tax hits because a lot of people don't realize that there's huge tax implications if you trade something under a year versus if you held on to it for over a year which is like you just mentioned long-term investing that's the difference between you know being an investor and being a trader Uh, We're in it for the the buy and hold uh, operation and uh, that usually is going to entail low cost index fund investing, which we highly recommend using something like Vanguard. They've been around so long and their funds usually have the lowest cost, highest performing funds, not trying to pick like individual stocks uh, or bonds to win it. And we're not paid by Vanguard to say
3: that, but (laughs) if they would like to pay us, we would gladly accept (laughs) it.
2: So guys, can we back up uh, to the beginning? I was interested in what you pointed out about the uh, fiduciary duty and having a fiduciary advisor. Uh, I have pretty early on been skeptical of that that whole um, industry for a few different reasons. For one thing, I, strangely enough, interviewed there early on when I was uh, considering uh, graduating college a little bit early and then decided to stay and go into comp sci instead. Um, but long story short, came to realize that there were some problems with exactly what you were getting at, with people not being, uh, honest about the reasons they were making recommendations. So my question is if you get one of these advisors, what sorts of advice are you really looking for from them? Um, and what sorts of things would you say they shouldn't be advising?
4: So in my opinion, um, the biggest thing is you want someone that tries to understand your unique situation because it really, we all hate hearing it, but the, 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 two words, it depends. I mean, you hope that your financial advisor knows that and it really does depend. Like if they say, hey, you're 55, so that means you should have 55% of bonds, then that's I mean, that's that's so wrong because this is one person at 55 could have totally different financial <coughs> excuse, <coughs> excuse. me, financial goals than someone else at 55 that has, uh, you know, a different year for retirement or different plans. Maybe they want to buy a house. So it, <coughs> excuse me. So you really want to find a financial advisor that wants to understand your life and wants to understand what you're trying to save for and wants to help you get there um, in the least cost way possible. Uh, not, not to harp on Vanguard again, but uh, I did look into Vanguard's fiduciary services. Um, they have pretty low cost. I think it's like 0.3% of your portfolio uh which is low for a financial advisor usually most financial advisors like fiduciary ones will i think charge you anywhere from like one to two percent per year of your portfolio for advising where the broker ones will charge you basically commissions on products and we've seen financial advisors that are actually both they're they say they're fiduciary but they actually also sell products that are um commission-based products so um they try to get you in the door and then at the same time they also have some special interest so it's really hard to find someone that really cares about that situation for you. But as long as they they sh- they don't just show you the the returns, um, they're also showing you the cost and being open with those about you and saying, hey, you know, this is what we did for your portfolio. This is you're trying to save for this. So this is why we divided your portfolio into this asset allocation. Um, and as long as they can just answer those simple questions, um, and in a way that you would understand it, and not try to come up with excuses every time uh, that they, the markets are doing bad. The, the biggest thing, a a a financial advisor I think could help you do as well is control your emotions. A lot of times when the market's doing really bad, that's when people want to run from it. Well, people like Kevin and I want to buy the market then because we know we're getting it at a discount. Um, and trying to stay in when you're seeing your, your retirement accounts, you know, get eaten in half is really hard to do. But if you pull it out, it's never going to, you know, recover. Um, and a lot of times on the upswing, you would have maybe double what you had before. Um, so, you know, just just finding a good advisor that can tell you those things, and also maybe be honest about, hey, we're not trying to beat the market. We can't beat the market. Um, most, almost all hedge funds, financial advisors cannot beat the market. There may be two people I can think of that have done it, and maybe can somewhat consistently, but it. Um, uh, usually the you cannot time the market and you can't beat the market or you can't do it consecutive years. And a lot of people that try to time the market, basically they're going to be financial advisors that are trying to trade actively. And if you're trading actively, then that usually means that you're selling investments under a year, which you're going to get um, the tax implications are going to be passed on to you as the client. So you're going to get you know a huge IRS bill <laughs> at the end of the year because your trader was trying to get you higher returns, and in the end after the taxes, you actually got lower returns than the market. So that's a few things to watch out for and
3: it's a, Oh, sorry. I was going to make one just quick, uh, addition. Um, if you look at folks like Warren Buffett, uh, who make a ton of money in the stock market, they don't live by the rule of can I time the market? They live by the rule of how do I not lose money? Uh, and if you, if you start adopting that own rule in your own investing, how do I not lose money? You'll you'll go a longer way.
2: Good stuff. I agree with everything um, you guys said there. I, I'm curious if you agree with me on this um, through through a series of reading. I've come to the conclusion that I don't believe that mutual funds are a logical thing to be doing. I think that index funds are the way to go because mutual funds are <laughs> a bit like throwing a dart at a dartboard. Do you guys feel that way?
4: Yeah. So, so we completely agree with index funds. Now, index funds still are mutual funds, but they follow an index. Um so we we recommend uh, index mutual funds. Um, now there's active managed funds as well, uh, which we don't recommend, which is the ones you're, you're probably referring to there. Um, but yes, we highly, all of all of my personal investments are index mutual funds. They follow an index. They follow either the total stock market index, the S&P 500 index, the bond indexes, the real estate indexes. So So yeah, that's something that you'll hear Kevin and I preach over and over again.
2: Cool, do you guys wanna clarify quickly why index
4: funds are such a win? Go ahead, Sean.
0: Or even explain what they are to our listener.
4: Yeah, basically index fund. Um, so I'll just talk about the index in general here. Uh, uh, let's talk about the total stock market index fund. Um, so basically, me as an investor, I can buy an uh, an index fund at a portion of the cost. It would, it would cost me to actually buy the whole index. And that's basically what you can do here. So let's say uh, the S&P 500, well, there's 500 stocks. Um, that 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 uh, that index will follow so in other words um, the returns the performance of that of those 500 stocks the index um, tracks those and a mutual fund against that index will try to follow uh, the same uh, I, I, or try to buy and sell the uh, the stocks in that index in order to follow that index's performance as best as it, as best as possible so you as an investor can get can get Um, The ability to invest in all those, you know, 500 stocks without actually having to buy them all you can just buy uh, Into this uh, mutual fund that takes care of it for you And to that same idea if I want to invest
3: in say uh, technology companies um, I don't have to independently invest in Microsoft Apple IBM etc. I could invest in a technology index that would look at just the top performing technology companies and and Sean and I do that for S&P 500. We do it for international funds. We do it for bonds. Uh, Basically, every type of investment out there has an index associated with it, and it's generally a better value.
0: Now, I I read uh, Money Master the Game by, what's his name? Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. And um, he, he, one of the strategies that he recommends is exactly that you know so you invest in the index funds and the reason he says that they work is not necessarily because they follow a specific set of stocks so much as the fact that because the indexes don't change often they don't buy and sell often and so you don't incur the fees that you were talking about earlier um is is that generally the reason why those work out or are there other reasons why those are a better deal
4: yeah, that's exactly right. Um, that's one of the main, one of the reasons. Um, there's there's many reasons, but that actually may, makes them more tax efficient, which again, mm-hmm. taxes are going to be your, taxes are going to be your biggest cost. So, so yeah, these, um, another thing, the the rate that, so the actual amount or the, uh, the pace that you buy and sell stocks within your mutual fund is called the turnover rate. So a lot of people, when they look at their expense ratio on a mutual fund, that's all they look at. But there's these other uh, metrics on the fund as well that they should be looking at, which is the turnover rate. Which tells uh how often you're selling those stocks. Um cause, um and yes, with an index fund, you're typically gonna um depending on the index, because there's there's many indexes out there. <laughs> but uh so your your more common ones like the total stock market index uh fund that we've been talking about here, um, is gonna sell and, and buy stocks at a much, much lower rate, usually over over a year at a time. Um you're not gonna sell anything, you're not gonna hold on to anything for less than a year. Another thing I want to mention, um, just for people that are maybe starting off with their 401k, because I think it's the place where most people start investing, you'll have some of these index fund options available, or maybe like with the IRA, you can invest in any fund in the market, but with your 401k, you're limited. So a lot of times we just try to find like uh, an index fund that maybe matches closely to the S&P 500 or the total stock market or the bond market, um, where you'll also have some other I guess, strange <laughs> fund options in your 401k as well. Um, and you look at some of the expense ratios for those and they're probably a lot higher because they're probably trying to trade actively. Mm-hmm. But a big mistake a lot of people make is investing in their own company. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this right now are doing that. And I think that's the number one thing people need to not do. Because if your company, if you know, God forbid anything were happening to your company, there goes your retirement. Uh, because everything you're investing in your 401k is now gone as well, or it's reduced a lot. Um, so if you get laid off, maybe the company's not doing well. The stock's not doing well. You've been investing the whole time and now your stock's basically worthless and you just lost your job. That's that's a bad place to be in. Um, so, and I know like investing in your 401k is kind of a weird thing at first because like my, I remember my wife saying this, I remember thinking this at first, like you just put a, a little, you know, maybe four to 5% in there in the beginning and you just kind of feel like you never see that money. Like people don't really see 401k as savings. They don't calculate it in their savings. They just think it's money that's going to, eventually turn into over a million dollars, you know, in my 60s and I'll care about it then. Um, but, you know, that's your savings. And when you're calculating your savings rate, when you're figuring out your budget every month, it's important to 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 figure, you know, to put that number into consideration. And that's a lot of times when we talk about paying yourself first. That That's where you can pay yourself first is by putting more money in your retirement accounts.
3: And don't forget with 401ks, uh, only put enough in your 401k to get your matching. Um, most 401ks are are not very good so get your get your matching but then put your money into better investment devices like your uh, IRA or Roth IRA uh, HSA and put them into funds that you can actively control uh, 401ks out there uh, many of them are they decide for you and you don't have a very good fund range to choose from so just take what you can get out of it but then put the rest into better devices and if you're like Amy and you have all this money left over, then you could probably I don't put, want to go
1: into that. <laughs> like I said, I'm driving a 15-year-old pickup truck, so I'm living pretty frugally.
3: So, but you could put more money back in your 401k later if you wanted to. Uh, but just uh, hit your matching and then put your money into better investments.
0: So one question I have here then is... I don't know. It, it kind of came out of when you said uh investing in your own company isn't the best way to go. But me investing in my own company is investing in my company, right? Because I'm self-employed. So, it seems like that's somewhere where I can put money and I have better opportunities to, you know, grow the value there. I have more control that way. And so I'm wondering, how much do I invest in my business versus putting stuff into an, an a Roth IRA or you know, 401k or something like that.
4: I, I think that really comes down to retirement goals, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, now, yeah, earlier, correct. I was speaking from the employee perspective right. um, where you'd be, uh, investing your company stock. But yes, in your case, I think it comes down to the point where you're ready to collect money passively, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, right now, yeah, you could probably most definitely get a higher return by, uh, maybe automating more in your company or growing your company and getting money. Um, um, through different projects that you could fund with your, with your, uh, your income. But, uh, at some point you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're probably gonna want to some money to come in passively and hopefully re- maybe retire, um, in the future. Um, some people never want to retire and that's okay too, <laughs> but, uh, to at least think about that or to, to grow your money that's just sitting there. Um, you know that's an that's an option as uh for for investing for retirement really um i mean if you can passively you know if, like put x amount of dollars into your company and you're just pushing that off maybe to a va or a contractor or some automation then yeah that could definitely be looked at as a form as of, of an investment right maybe you know you've done the calculations on hey i'm putting x amount of dollars into my business for certain things and I'm getting X return back and hey, that's a better return than I can definitely get even after taxes um, versus putting that money into an investment. I'm curious how Kevin handles that though um, or what his thought process is around the extra money he has in his business. Well, extra money, my business.
3: <laughs> you, you say it, you say it so uh, like there's like I'm Amy Knight. Why Yeah, i imagine i imagine amy in her little itty bitty apartment but she's sitting <laughs> on a stack of cash right now and she's gonna I go mean, dab her sweat with it <laughs>
1: <laughs> like i i just put in the chat like i live in this like little tiny apartment i drive a really old truck like it just goes back to the way i was raised so i i, I sound like i have all this but it's it's only because I like love to live with margin and and not be strapped because I spent fifteen years like there however long I lived at home, more than fifteen years like that so anyways
3: <laughs> so the the way I approach kind of extra cash and investing in my business is um I every quarter I kind of evaluate my goals, so my goals right now is bootstrapping a uh training company, so I'm putting money towards uh setting up different curriculums I'm investing in my time because time I'm spending starting a, a new part of my company is time I'm not billing anyone so there's no there's no active income from from that time but I'll sit down and consider all right if I spend 2 weeks doing this work you know, what's that worth do I have that money set aside all right I do and I pay myself monthly so at the end of the month do I have Will I have the money to cover uh, my paycheck, my dividends? Uh, I also have a contractor that needs to get paid. I'm getting ready to to onboard a VA, and will will I have money at the end of the month to pay them as well? Uh, it's it, but having that budget in place is really important. I'm I haven't been as good with a business budget as I am with a personal budget, but it's one of those things I'm just trying to I'm trying to practice over and over again. It's just way too easy to, to stop and go, I I could just go bill someone for a couple hours and make money right away almost. Or I can go work on this project that will take my company a next step further, but I'm not gonna see money from that right away. I'm gonna see money from that maybe three, four or six months from now. Or never at all. You never know.
0: So do you have some resources that you would recommend for people who are trying to get their heads around a lot of this stuff, or were you going to use those for your picks?
4: Well, we run a podcast, <laughs> uh, two, number two, frugaldudes.com. Um, we're on iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, uh, et cetera. And, um, we just talk about this, um, just really just the, the life of middle-class software engineers, um, and how, how to live frugal lives and set up for financial freedom. um, and uh let's see, a lot of the research I've done in my life has been through various blogs. I know there's a financial independence community on Reddit. Um I re- I'm a big fan of Mr. Money Mustache. I actually wrote a book myself on this called The Early Retirement Roadmap. Um, and I went ahead and set up a promo code Jabber uh, for anyone interested to get 25% off. Um and I'm trying to think. uh Kevin, is there anything else that you really tend to go to outside of Dame Ramsey? Not lately. Uh, mostly, I, I've been reading a lot of blog
3: articles. Mister Money Mustache. I really enjoy reading his stuff. Um, the subreddit on financial independence. That that's a, that's kind of a goldmine of information. Just because it's people, just ordinary people trying to do this stuff, and you pick up a lot of tidbits just from reading others' experiences.
0: Sounds good. Well, let's go ahead and get to some picks. This episode is sponsored by Angular Dev Summit, coming September 11th through the 18th, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. I reached out to some of my friends in the Angular community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Rob Wermald, Jeff Welpley, and others coming to speak about all kinds of topics in Angular. So if you're trying to learn Angular, or you're trying to level up Angular, come check it out. The talks are happening throughout the day each day, and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to AngularDevSummit.com. Corey, do you want to start us off with picks?
2: Sure thing. So I have three that are uh, a good fit for this show. The first is uh, one of the best books that I read on investing, recommended for me by, to me from uh, my finance professor in college, uh, Random Walk Down Wall Street by Burton McKeel. Uh, really talks about why index funds make so much sense, why trying to beat the market is a fool's errand. Uh, really uh, a pretty quick read but will help give you a vision for how to interact with stock market market in a way that is um, profitable. Uh, second book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, another book I really enjoyed that uh, dri- drives home this point of uh, the if you want to be wealthy, spend your money on assets rather than liabilities and start looking at your life and saying, okay, what are the liabilities in my life? This is, this is how I, as a guy that really loves cars, happen to drive a car that's 10 years old because I keep reminding myself a car is a liability. So stop looking at those shiny Mercedes and just be content. Okay, and then finally, my third choice, which is on this realm of contentment, is the book Ego is the Enemy. I think one of the best ways to find yourself financially stable is to cut the ego. And if you want to cut your ego, then this is a great book on the topic that really points out so much of the ways that we spend money today (laughs) has everything to do with trying to impress others, convince people that we are successful. And once you start realizing that one of the best ways to feel successful is to recognize that you have financial independence that goes a long way toward uh, financial stability. So those are uh, my three picks. Nice.
0: Amy, what are your picks?
1: Let's see. Uh, So the first one I'm going to go with is a Hacker News thread, uh, how to not bring emotions from work back home with you. Uh, It's really, really, really long. So, uh, But there's some good tidbits in here uh and then man i have a bunch but i don't want to spill them all at once i feel like i need to save some Uh, so which one am i going to go with uh let's see i'm gonna go with a new music pick so i think a couple weeks ago i picked like taiko and purity ring and this one's one that was recommended based on on spotify based on me listening to those and i really liked it It um i'm not sure how you pronounce it but i'll put a link in the show notes i think it's like Phantograms, uh, P-H-A-N-T-O-G-R-A-M. Anyways, uh, they're pretty good if you liked uh, those other two picks. And that's it for me.
0: All right, I'm going to jump in with a few picks. Now, I mentioned one already, and that is Money Master the Game by um, Tony Robbins. Um, One other thing that I'm going to pick, and this is something that's helped me out in quite a few ways. Um, We've mentioned Dave Ramsey a few times, and he has ELPs, which are... I forget what it stands for um, endorse local providers. And so essentially they're people who help with insurance or real estate or, you know, those are the kind of the the people that I've gone to. I've also talked to some financial planners that are, are, you know, endorsed local providers and they kind of have to do things Dave Ramsey's way. But um, you know, I think his advice is fairly sound and so you can go and you can talk to them and uh, go with somebody that they've actually vetted, which is nice. And so, if you're looking, if you're shopping around for insurance, um, that saved me a bunch of money. Or if you're working in some of these other areas, then yeah, I, I definitely recommend that you go check them out and see what they have to offer there. And yeah, those those are my picks. Uh,
4: Sean, what are your picks? All right, so I I think I mentioned all kinds of stuff already in the in the podcast today, <laughs> randomly. But on top of everything, uh, a great book I would recommend is the Little Book of Common Sense Investing. Um, This is a book by uh, uh, the legendary Jack Bogle of Vanguard, and I think it just hits you in the head how easy this stuff can really be if you try to do it yourself instead of funding a a financial advisor to do it for you who could potentially be losing you a lot of money. Um, uh, Secondly... Behind that, uh, the blog that really helped me the most um, and made me realize that early retirement was a possibility was uh, Um He takes it a little to the extreme. Um, he's really big into early retirement, but also really big into uh, saving the world and uh, uh, reducing overconsumption. Um, and he's definitely got his own flair to the blog, but really enjoy reading that. Um, and the last thing, I think I think this is most important and something that anyone uh considering financial uh independence or just tracking or really just uh trying to get a hold of their finances uh should consider is just mint.com um so you know go on mint.com and you can just add all your accounts. You can see your whole financial picture right in front of you. I mean, it automatically brings in all your transactions, all your uh, retirement accounts. You just got to give it the login information. You can see what your current net worth is today. Uh, You can see where you stand. And that's your net worth can basically be a metric that you can follow and track as you start making improvements in your life. But the the more importantly, allows you to set up a budget, a monthly budget, and you can pick categories and start um, flagging transactions towards specific categories um, so you can see how you're doing every month, um, on your budget and set new goals, um, to, to, to achieve even, even better, uh, financial, uh, freedom. Awesome. Kevin, what are your picks?
3: Uh, I'm going to piggyback off, uh, both, uh, Charles, you and Sean. Um, so Charles, you mentioned Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. Uh, Tony Robbins actually has a new book out called Unshakable, which I would call the cliff notes of money master the game it's uh, money master game is kind of a beefy read and i completely recommend reading it but if you just want the the important stuff read unshakable first um sean and i did a book study on the podcast of unshakable and there's a lot of good information in there Um, number two uh sean mentioned budgets uh ynab you need a budget is a great tool if you've never done a budget before and you're just kind of learning Um, It will tie into your bank accounts and it'll help you organize all your all your cash. Uh, And YNAB started as an Excel spreadsheet long, long, long time ago. And now it's a it's a fully featured tool. So it's also a great entrepreneur success story. Um, But uh, my real pick initially was going to be the millionaire next door which uh, Amy kind of reminded me of <laughs> because it's all about how <laughs>
1: that's like how I live. <laughs>
3: exactly. <It is. laughs> if, if you if you. So it's uh, by Thomas Stanley. If he went and he looked at the traits of just wealthy people and wealthy people do not live and act the way that they're personified on TV or in the media. Um, they drive 15 year old cars. They drive. They wear tennis shoes um, they don't live in the most expensive house in a neighborhood um, there's just is a really surprising read and you can get an idea of if you want to actually be a millionaire you you should start acting like one and they don't act like they do on TV um, yep. so those are my picks
1: good stuff
0: nice um, interesting story I've met Jesse who's the founder of wineab um, he actually lives here in Lehigh so <laughs> Um,
3: oh, does he? I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So anyway, just just interesting stuff. But it's a it's a terrific <laughs> program. Great picks. All right. Well, if people want to uh, check you guys out Two Frugal Dudes, uh, anything else know, Twitter, GitHub, anything else that they should go look at?
4: Yeah, i say we are on Twitter at two frugal dudes um, uh, as well as myself at Sean Marin and Kevin at one Kev Griff. Um, if you're interested in retiring early, you can check out earlyretirementroadmap.com. And Kevin, your company is located at. I'm at swiftkick.n,
3: and I have kevgriffin.com. If you just want to read my babbling.
4: Nice. And if you're really if you're really serious about getting on this whole frugal train and uh, making changes, we also have a mailing list on the podcast to try and give some additional frugal tips and recommendations that I would suggest getting on.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll uh, leave all of that as an exercise to the listener, and we will catch everyone next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cacheFly.com to learn more.